All right, movies we can learn from. I'm Jay Fidel, this is Think Tech, and we're here with George Cassett, uh, and we're talking about movies we can learn from. And uh, the movie we're going to learn from today is The Garden of the Finzi Contini, which won the Academy Award for Foreign, foreign Language Film in 1972. And, and it is a classic. It is a classic. And it is also very powerful. And it is also very educational. And we're going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about how it or originated and what it stood for and just how true it is. Because there, is, there are elements of truth. Maybe a lot of elements of truth uh, in this movie. George, um, tell us the environment here. Where did it take place? When did it take place? Who are the you know, essential characters of this movie? It's in Ferrara, Italy, which is just south of Milan. It's a, it's a community, a city south of Milan. Yeah, it's and in, north of Bologna. Yes, north of and, Bologna. And, and it's 200 miles uh, north of Rome. Yes. So yes. now we know where it is. Okay. And the time frame is 1938 to 1943 in Italy. And it's a family that's in, in Ferrara. And they live on this street, but their property goes all the way back into the rural area. And they have this huge mansion and huge property in Ferrara. And in 1938, their two children are in a tennis club in Ferrara. But when the fascists uh, start taking over, they bar those two kids from the tennis club. They can't do that. So they're so used to playing tennis, they invite all their friends that they were playing tennis with at that club to their home where they have their own tennis court where they practice. And this is, this is, this is the how the movie begins when all these friends are coming to the gate and they come in and they start playing um, tennis with this Alberto and Nicole, right? Yep. Yeah. So who wrote this? Uh, who wrote this? Bassani, uh, by this uh. Italian Jewish author. Uh, it was sort of semi-autobiographical because yep. he was from, Bas uh, from Barara, and it was very similar to what had, had, he had transpired and he had experienced in his own life. So this was a sort of semi-biographic. I forgot his friend. His last name was Bassani. This is Giorgio Bassani. Oh, Giorgio. Another Giorgio Bassani, like my name. Yeah. I okay. never met a George I didn't like. Yeah. Well, okay. George Bush. Okay. You no, like never mind. <laughs> George Washington. Okay. So bottom, bottom line is here. They start having banter between the young people they're talking you know and nicole is just she's absolutely beautiful you know she's a she is she's, she's tall, a beautiful woman the actress is a beautiful exactly, woman beautiful tall thin and all the interplay between all the uh, tennis players and and uh, alberto is the brother and he's also a good-looking young guy yeah. and and he's got a close friend a giamperto a, um, Malnate. And as this thing progresses, one of the things that is like a, 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 a plot, semi-plot, is the interaction of, of Nicole with these guys, right? Few guys. And there is Giorgio, who's from another Jewish family in Ferrara, also prominent, but not quite as prominent as the Finzi Contines. And he knew her from, from grade school, and he was in love with her from, from a young age, and he's still in love with her. And she, he's pushing for her to 
be in love with him, but she says, you're like my brother. I don't, I, I can't really feel that close with you. And then Malnate, Gianperto Piero Malnate, who's very close friends with her brother, Alberto, she sort of talks to him at the, behind, next to the tennis court. And he says to her, you don't really, you're not really into men, are you? And she says, not men like you, because you're uh, too frank, you're leftist politically, and you're too hairy. So she's pretty much putting him down. So I, I, my life, I don't understand sometimes women that say one thing and do something else. Now she's teasing him. Yes. Uh, but, you know, that's the impression I had. She's teasing yep. him. And, and she's lording over him because of her privilege and her wealth. Yes. And let's he, let's uh, talk about let's talk about this fantastic house. Yeah, um, it's it, it's in another it's it's from another part of Italy that where they filmed that that house. It's a it's an I got the region, and the house and the the yard is is all the great gardens are filmed in another part of Italy. So it's not really in Ferrara. They're using the set. It's going to be in a different place. But this house. It was from the family of Saxony or something. It was it was the royal family's mansion, one of the royal families. And this house, as an architectural historian, architecture student, this house is phenomenal. This is a beautiful, you know, house, just gorgeous, gorgeous house. So you see that, and then you see the tennis courts, and then her family, her father, her mother, her grandmother, they all come. To, to, toward the, they're walking toward the tennis court. And you see, they're all very elegant, you know, affluent family, elegant family, educated. You can see that they're high, high stuff, you know, high level, um, our, 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 like an aristocracy in, in Italy. And this, as this movie progresses, you tell me when I'm going on too, too much, between 1938 and 1943, things start to turn. Let's, let's hold up on that. Yeah. First, we have to define who who these people are and, and okay. why and why Bassani is writing about them. And I took the liberty of writing of reading yeah. uh, some of his writings uh, in, uh -huh. in his book. Yeah. And uh, the book was written in 1957. And you're right; it was at least in part autobiographical. He uses the first person yeah. throughout the book, so you know a lot of the things he's he's writing down are his own experiences. And he tells you, um, this is, it's almost like, um, you know, Proust. It's first person, but he's telling you the story of somebody else. <clears throat> and the somebody else is this family, which really existed. This family existed. These characters existed. Um, and um, uh, so he tells you about what, what motivated him, um, you know, to, uh, to write the book, to, to bring his recollections of that family into the four. Um, and I guess people liked the book. It was a bestseller, um, although it, it was written in Italian and it's, it's got a, a different music to it than a book written in English, I must say. Maybe it's just the quality of the translation. But he talks about the trips they took. This is post-war, you know, in the 50s, I guess. The trips they took around Italy and they'd bring their friends and family and I guess he was somewhat privileged also, and um, and see these old you know uh, palaces uh, like the like the one you're talking about uh, in Ferrara, and he talks about Ferrara. He talks about um, you know going with his family and and kids and 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 being so impressed by these um, you know 
um, these, these country places uh, and castles along the way. And he, he talks about how one day, one afternoon, um, he saw this one house, this one palace, and said, ah, this is just like the Garden of the Vinci Cantini. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book about that. And he knows, he knows the fame, knows the characters, and he puts the characters in the book. So then people liked it, so they made a movie of it. And I believe, I'm not sure of this, maybe you know, I thought there were two movies by the same name, but no. No, there was one movie, and the movie that you and I saw was that movie, but it was remastered later uh, in the 90s. It was made into color. Uh, in the 90s. And so the movie that's on Netflix is actually the original movie, but fixed up. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that that mansion house was really quite something. And and the whole family, I mean, there were three or four generations lived in that house. And and they were they were privileged beyond description. I mean, they could have anything they wanted. They wanted to have a tennis party. They could have a tennis party. Um, they want to invite their non-Jewish friends over. Everybody would be delighted. You had to take a bicycle from one end of the property to the other. And because there was so much land involved in the middle of this town, Ferrara, you know, the front gate was, was just an ordinary door. Exactly. It was like, you know, it was like the, the Shangri-La, you know, you open the door and behold, it's a forest in there and bicycle paths and, tennis courts, and you, you, you couldn't even see the end of the property. And it was, uh, it was all surrounded by a big wall. Remember the wall? There were several walls involved, yes. walling them in or maybe walling others out. And that's, and that's the, you know, the, the statement of it, right? That's the statement of how they lived. Um, the level of privilege and wealth was really extraordinary. And, the, uh, and, you know, they had a certain amount of Jewishness in there, but Mostly they were just really wealthy. Um, and that happened, that existed in, in Italy at the time. Okay, now let's go to the dynamic. Stuff happens in this movie. All of a sudden, a dark cloud passes over all of that. And, and how is it revealed? What happens? Well, Giorgio, that was in love with Nicole, I remember this thing. He goes to the library where he's been studying for poetry or whatever, and he's told that he can't stay there in his seat. He said, well, I can move to another seat. And he said, no, the, the, the guard or whatever tells him, you can't be in this library at all. So he goes that then to the library director and he says, what is this? And he says, the library director says, it's over my head. It, I, I, it, you know, it's coming from above. And then Giorgio says, you have a family, don't you? And he says, yeah, I have a family. In other words, these fascists are, are controlling things, right? And, and little by little, now- well, What do you mean by that? Oh, that was really a very telling remark. Yeah. You have a family, is he saying you and your family ought to get out of town no matter how much money is involved? Um, is he saying that he has a family too and he has to be careful of his family? Maybe he's saying it in, in two ways. You know, we all have our families. We cannot take liberties with, with the Germans, the Nazis are here and your family is at risk. I think, he, I think that was it. But you're right. It was a very important statement he made uh, um, you know, in his office there. You may be right, Jay, because 
when his brother, his younger brother, Giorgio's younger brother, goes to France, to Grenoble, to study, you know? And, and then he, he visits his brother with money from his father to help the brother, the younger brother. And then the younger brother says, why don't you stay here in Grenoble? And he says, no, I can't because I got to go back. I have my family in the older, he's the older brother. I got my family back in, in Ferrara. So, so you may be right that there's, there's sort of a double thing to this. But little by little, there's it, the, the freedoms that this, these families have in, in Ferrara are being whittled away one by one by one. You remember the transportation progression? Yeah. Uh, the first thing is you, you, couldn't, you couldn't have a car anymore. Yeah. Um, you had to give up your car. Couldn't, yeah. You couldn't drive. And yeah. uh, that was the end of that. And, and then uh, you had to drive. You had to go on the streetcar. Yeah. But soon enough, you couldn't go on the streetcar anymore. Um, and so forth. And, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, you rode a bicycle. Bicycles played a big role in this movie, but not necessarily because they loved riding bicycles. They had to. Yeah, exactly. So, so basically, I mean, I saw this movie in 1970. I saw the trailer. And it really hit me home, you know, because just to get off on the side, my own family back in Turkey in World War I had a very similar kind of living situation with the, you know, acreage next to the big mansion, you know, and, and I know everything that transpired with them, with the art being stolen and, and them, half of them dying and the rest having to just run with the shirts on their back. So I, I could sort of, I was sensitized to this issue. So I saw this movie and it always, it all, I always remembered it. So when we talked a number of weeks ago, you brought up, Garden of the Finzi Contini's, I said, yes, let's do that. Because it's it sort of, even 50 years later, it's still, I still remembered that movie. So this movie. So um, basically, it's, 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 a, it's, as we said, whittling away. Uh, and the interesting thing for me is that uh, Giorgio's father, Jewish father, he was, I think, an attorney. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was also a member of the fascist party before Il Duce came in. He was more on the conservative side because they were against communists. And even the Finzi Contini's, they were sort of more conservative. I mean, I don't know if they were actually involved with the fascist party. But they were in the ruling class. Exactly. exactly. They were conservative. They were, you know, the right side of things. And, exactly. And they, they, uh, they didn't get, they didn't achieve all that wealth yeah. um, by, being, by being liberals or communists. Yeah, exactly. And um, so that, you know, you, and, and it goes back to your family. The point in your family is that here are these people and they're privileged and they have anything and everything they want. They're in the top of the heap. Uh, and, and, they, and their family has been that way for hundreds of years. Yes. You know, this is, this is a, it's an historical privilege. Yep. It, it came out, you know, from, from, I don't know, the, the Renaissance. Anyway, um, what's, what is remarkable, and we can never forget World War II for this, these people were at the top of the heap, and in very short order, within a year, two, maybe, they were reduced to the bottom of the heap with everybody else. Yeah. Um, they, they didn't have wealth. Uh, ultimately, they didn't have their palace. They didn't have anything. Zero. And, Zero. and it, it was so traumatic to watch them yes. have to deal with the loss of 
of all these things which they took for granted and, and be ruined you know, in quick time. Um, that happened all over Europe, but it, certainly with people of this caliber, it was particularly, pro it, was, it was traumatic. Exactly. And that's, that's, you see that as the movie progresses between 38 and 43, and then in, in the final, when they're take, taken away uh, from their home, you know, um, Alberto had already died of a fever, but um, they're taken away. And here you even have the grandmother who was like this, you know, aristoc aristocratic grandmother who was already probably in her 80s or 90s. They took her away. And then Nicole and her are separated from the rest of the family. So they, so it just reminds you of, of Dachau and, you know, um, Buchenwald and, and Auschwitz, you know, where they, they're taking, they're putting these people into little rooms, you know, and where, where are they headed? Where are they headed for, you know? So. Uh, I was very, remember, remember the scene. Yeah. Uh, toward the end uh, where the, um, I don't think they were Italian. I think they were German Nazi people because the, the Nazis had a presence in Italy. Oh, yes. You know, I, yes. I remember learning that the first time I saw the movie. Yeah. It, it struck me funny that, it, 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 you know, uh, Mussolini was a bad guy and he was a fascist and he allowed Hitler and, yeah. and the Nazis to come into yeah. Italy and do this kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, it was a perfect situation because the Nazis wanted this property and they were rounding up the Jews and they went into the, this house and all these generations of people are in the house. And it's like, you know, the, the clock hits 12 noon, everything stops. It's, yeah. it, it's not slow motion. It's completely snapshot stopped. And they're all frozen while the Nazis are, are dragging them out of there. Actually, not dragging. They're saying, you have to come with us now. Okay. And they, and they were driven to a schoolhouse. Um, and, and they were put in a classroom of, of, for young kids. Oh, but yeah. You know, what, there were no young kids in there. Maybe there were. There were family members in there. But bottom line is, this was a really small, tight little room in a schoolhouse, which they probably had not visited, didn't know anything about it. And they're all stuffed in this room. And, and that's pretty much where the movie ends. And you have to ask yourself, what now? Exactly. You know, stuffed in a schoolroom, these people are really not, not equipped to deal with being jammed into a schoolroom uh, against their will, uh, everything stripped from them, even, you know, their clothing where they weren't even permitted to pack nothing. Exactly. Um, and, and you say, uh, wow, what, what are they thinking? They, they must be in total trauma exactly. um, to have this happen to them. And that was the classroom that Nicole was in when she was a child. It was ah, okay. You're right. You're right. But that's you're also right. the play of, of, of the director who did this, you know, uh, Vittorio De Sica, I think, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, that was the classroom she was in. And before that, Giorgio was on the streets and um, they took him away and, uh, and to the police station and he, they were beating him up and then he ran away. And then at the end, his father that's still there in Ferrara in the same room in the school with Nicole and her grandmother, he says that Giorgio and his mother and 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 the little sister, they they've escaped. You know, they've left. They've been to France or wherever. But he's still there. You know. And then Malnate, and we'll get into Malnate and and Nicole too, which we didn't really get into. Um, he died in Russia. He he was a, a gent. He wasn't Jewish. He was gent, 
Italian Gentile. They sent him to Russia and he died. But do you want to get into that scene with Nicole and, and Giampiero Malnate? I mean, basically, to me, that was also very pr profound because Giorgio, is still, who's still in love with, with Nicole, he jumps the fence where she had put these little uh, nails so that people could jump their, their wall to get into their into their property. I should probably have boyfriends, I don't know what, or friends, you know, from the outside. And he goes and he jumps the fence and he goes all the way to the house and he knows where Nicole's bedroom is and he climbs the wall and lo and behold, in bed na naked, Nicole is naked with Giamperto Malnate, the guy she was telling, you're too hairy, you're leftist, and you're too frank. So to me, I guess women sometimes do that, right? I mean, they say one well, thing. She, she played with men. Yeah. She played with men. Yeah. And she was, she was beautiful, but she played with men, and she certainly played with him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, hearing you talk about it, I, I realized that what the movie does is it introduces you to them individually. The best movies are the ones where you get to know the players really well and so well that you get to see them change right in front of your eyes. And here's a woman who was, you know, I don't want to say snooty, but manipulative. Um, and she was arrogant. And that, that was my perception. You know, beautiful women can be all of that. Um, and she played with men. And, and one day she was stripped of everything. Exactly. And, so, and that, it, it, makes it, it makes it so much more powerful when you get to know the players and you get to see the history of this family unfolding, unraveling, and going hither and yon and dying, what have you. Um, I want to read you, George, the last paragraph of the prologue of the book itself, which sort of stuck me. He went uh, in, in his travels on the tour in that area uh, to the tomb. You know, these people existed. The Finzi Contini's actually existed. It's clear in his book. Um, my heart ached as never before at the thought that in that tomb, erected it seemed, guaranteed the perpetual repose, repose of the man who commissioned it, his and his descendants, only one descendant, among all the Finzi Contini's I had known and loved. He knew them, he knew the Finzi. He knew them, yeah. Uh, had managed to gain that repose. In fact, the only one buried there in the tomb, this big garish tomb, tombs can be garish, uh, the only one buried there is Alberto, the oldest son. There really was an Alberto, right? Who died in 1942 of lymphogranuloma. So that's what killed him. And it's, it's impressive that here's a book written in 1957, and the author has the you know, the expertise to, exactly. to tell us about this. Whereas uh, for <clears throat> Nicole, Nicole, uh, that was her name in the book here, Nicole, the second child, the daughter, and for her father and Professor Hermano and her mother, Signora, Signora Ol Olga and Signora Regina, Signora Olga's ancient paralytic mother who was taken away by the Nazis. They were all deported to Germany in the autumn of 1943. Uh, and this is the final words. 
who could say if they found any sort of burial at all? Only one in the tomb was the old man. The, the tomb was for the family, but most of the family was killed. So, so none of these Finzi Cantinis lived past going to Germany, sent to Germany. They probably died in the concentration camps yeah. and their bodies were burned, you know, in those, in those gas chambers. I mean, yeah. this is a, I mean, this movie doesn't really get into that last sex section, right? Which is really leaves you sort of hanging, you know? You did some more research to discover what really happened to this family, right? Which is the, I mean, this is another horrible Holocaust thing, you know? And, you know, this is a very pertinent movie right now because you have people here in America who don't really understand how things can turn very quickly against the minorities. Now, you've got Kanye screaming and yelling about this and that, but he's an African, you know? And if things change, you know, for the worst, him and Candace Owens and all these others, they may be targeted as well, you know? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's like almost, you, you know, you feel, and there's, there's a very powerful Jewish people that are supporting Trump, that have supported Trump. And, you know, he's not your typical Republican. I mean, he is, everything that comes out of his mouth, you know, is really sort of worrisome, you know, even his 12 years, another 12 years, and what's going on now with his tweeting and bullshitting and all, you know, this is, this is worrisome. So this movie shows you how the cataclysms that are possible when, when you lose the democracy, when you, when you lose humility, uh, you, you, humanity and you lose civility and where this can go. Because if you look at January 6th, when those people, that wasn't the first time. I, I remember um, Miami-Dade uh, Board of Elections in, in the 2000 elections, when all these people, you know, conservatives, they swarmed that uh, Miami-Dade uh, Board of Elections so that they would stop the CADs, the voting. That was similar to what happened on January 6th at a, at a smaller level. So. When you lose democracy, you're in trouble. And this movie, I wish the movie had, as horrible as it is, had carried it further. And then you would have realized what happened to these lovely people that you're liking, you know. Even as Nicole, as much as she played with men, you know, she was likable, you know. The whole family was likable. And then you see what happened to them. So there's, there's some real lessons for us like you say movies we can learn from this is something we can learn from you know and, and, and uh -huh. I, I, as i alluded to my own family when you had the the fascist the fascistic german allies took over in turkey and in the ottoman empire you saw what happened there with the greeks and the armenians and the uh, levies and whatever and and the same that this whole thing in europe with there wasn't only jews a lot of Poles, you know, it was mainly Jews that, 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 ate, that ate it, but there were others as well, you know. So when you lose that thing, something's really, really amiss. Is it my imagination or is there more literature, more documentaries, more articles and, and, and so forth happening now as if to make the point 
um, that you know, when you lose democracy, it's not like you go about your business just the way you did before. When you lose democracy, you lose your civil rights, um, you, you lose public safety, and, and the, uh, the worst people are, are running things and they don't care about your safety. Uh, and, they, and they can take you away in the middle of the night. That's what's always happened. When you get autocracy, they can take you away uh, and kill you and murder you. There was a, there was a, a segment on 60 Minutes last weekend um, about, um, about Lithuania uh, when, the, when the Nazis came to Lithuania. And it was um, you know, early in, in the genocide. And they killed, I don't remember the percentage, but a really high percentage of the Jews in Lithuania. And the Jews in Lithuania were a high percentage of the, of the citizens of Lithuania. They were like half of Lithuania was Jewish, and they killed 70% or something like that of the Jews who lived there. And the story on 60 Minutes was about their books and their writings, um, which they treasured. You know. And, and the, the, the remaining Jewish community was hiding all these books. They, they knew the Nazis would burn them, take them, what have you, and artwork and the like. And um, so they kept it underground. They kept it in the most um, remarkable places and saved some of it. Uh, and it ultimately, an organization was formed in New York after the war uh, to preserve this. Why is it so important? It's important because the people themselves were killed. The percentage of people, the number of people in Lithuania, it was really hideous. We, do, we don't know. We don't hear that. And, and this segment was an important you know, lesson uh, about the, the numbers. And you say to yourself, what about those guys, the, the Proud Boys and the like, um, who, who don't take democracy seriously and who could just as easily um, allow democracy, who want democracy to fail um, and who, who, who would be happy to see uh, bigotry prevail, um, they don't realize how it was in the Holocaust and in Europe for all minorities. And, and so... And I, I feel that um, it's been 80 years. Uh, I think people have forgotten. The world has largely forgotten about this. I think it's a real service from filmmakers and uh, novelists and documentary makers and, you know, and historians uh, to remind us exactly what kind of brutality was happening at what scale. And this movie fits in there. This movie helps us remember. But you know, George, you and I, we don't need help to remember. It's shocking. It's disgusting. It's it's shocking to, you know, to an emotional level, a high emotional level. Um, but there's so many people in this country have no clue. They they were not taught about this in school. They deny it, just as they you know deny um, climate change and they and they deny democracy and all liberal things. So. I think the movie is valuable to remind you and me. Uh, hopefully, it'll reach further out, you know, than you and me, and people will appreciate it for um, the examination of life in in uh, countrified um, Italy in those years, just as it was happening in other countries in Europe. 
you know, in Germany and France, and of course, in Eastern Europe, where people were being murdered at a, at a fantastic scale. Um, and, and maybe maybe it helps. Maybe it helps for us to remind ourselves and remind others. Do you remember January 6th, they had that hangman's noose? At, at, at the, they were going to literally talking about killing people, even some of their own conservatives that weren't going along with this with what they said was the steal, you know, they wanted to kill. And they, when they swarmed the Capitol, they were going after people or, you know, anybody who was part of the system, you right. They wanted to just over, you know, you know, I, I've read about Hitler in 1923 when he had that beer, beer bus, when my father and my grandmother and the aunt, when they left Memmingen after seeing him in, in, in that square. And he, they literally, he literally, they took over that beer hall or something. I don't know if you remember that. And, and that was sort of the, the harbinger of what was to come. Yeah. And, and who thought in 23 that 10 years later, he would take over. So this January 6th is a harbinger of what could happen if we're not, if we're not aware. Well, of you know, but it, I, I agree with you. The reference to the noose is very important because who's to say that the news, the news was simply an icon. No. Uh, who's to say that those weapons were, you know, just play toys? Um, it, it could have gone wrong at any moment. And if it had continued, the chances of it going wrong were that much greater. And, um, you know, Pence could have been killed. Yep. Others could have been, Nancy Pelosi could have been killed. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it's very troubling um, how close we came to a full-on, full-tilt, uh, you know, massacre. And uh, <clears throat> um, it's troubling also that, yes, in the, yes, in the context of a coup d'etat. Uh, and, and, you know, how, what would we be doing now? What would we be doing two years later? We would not have public safety. We would not be assured that we could go to sleep at night and so forth. So, um, you got to worry about that, and uh, I hope that um, I hope we don't have that problem again. I hope that the midterms, um, you know, change things in some way. But uh, I think we have to be very mindful of what happened in the '30s, and this this literature, these movies, these documentaries, the, the Ken Burns series, and what uh, Rachel Maddow is doing now in her podcast. We we have to understand what it was like in order to avoid repeating it. Precisely. So what would you give this movie in terms of a rating? Oh, I know you liked it. 10 plus. I mean, it just, the way it was handled, it was, it's sort of in pieces, you know, little by little, you're, you're, you, you don't really expect, well, you know what, how it may end, right? But as it's progressing, it's still a shock at the end where they, when they come into that mansion and they take these people, including the, the elderly grandmother, and take them away. You know, it, it, you actually visually see this is what, is what they're taking them away, you know, from, from this existence. And it's the dichotomy there between what, where they were and what they end up, you know. It's like, I think it's a lesson for anybody who thinks that they're, above being targeted because you know once these crazies take over 
they can decide who they want to target. And if they don't, I mean, they'll, I can see if those crazies take over, they'll be targeting all segments of our society, right? Of our current society at all different economic and financial levels, you know, it's just scary. It's just- And your, your point a little while ago is just very telling in this movie. They, when, when this happened to them, it's, it's, it's like you have to watch it frame by frame. They were in a state of complete non-belief and, and complete shock. You know, just staring out at, at history unfolding around them and being Precisely. pushed from one life to toward, toward Auschwitz and death. Exactly. Uh, and they didn't know what was happening. They had no idea. None of them had an idea about what was going on. They just, they, they, and they couldn't even speak of it. It was transformed into objects almost immediately. Right. And uh, it was, it's very troubling. Giorgio and his father early in this movie had a big argument because Giorgio, the young guy, you know, the son, he's telling his father what's, what's happening and the father who had been a member of the pre-duce fascist party was telling him you know it's not that bad we're only we're only losing he was talking to his son and said there isn't that much we're losing it's just minor things we can still survive but that's that's, all. that's core that that is a core moment in the movie precisely we're not that. worried about losing democracy we're not worried about these fascists coming for us exactly um but but what a miscalculation huh see like i've, I've talked about dr meyerstein my parents physician and friend and his wife they were friends and yeah. he was smart enough to get out and he first he went to romania yeah, but you know the that that's another point is that these people in the movie were not smart enough to get out yeah. they, they never addressed the problem they never left town except accidentally um, and the, the essential family remained there in the headlights. Exactly. Here in the headlights. And, and you know, George, wow. that goes for most people. Yeah. Six million people died in those camps. They were in the headlights. They, they didn't know how to, you know, protest it or, or exactly. you know, push back on it or, or even run away. And the, and the number of people who ran away was a small percentage. Most of them didn't know what to do and didn't do anything and died. See, and my family can was... never forget that. So let I me, heard... let me, we have to get off. Let me, let me just rate it. I agree with you, uh, 10 plus, And I think this is a, a very nutritious movie for our time. And our time is not yet resolved. Um, relative success in the midterms or not. We still have the, the threat of what you and I were worried about before. It's what still we to be worried about now. True, true. Well, thank you, George. George Kaysen. Looking forward to our next discussion. Um, we'll talk about what movie that is. And I, I want to tell you again how much I enjoy uh, our shows together. Thank you. And we'll do it. Yep. Thank you. Aloha, George.
Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.